you. I knew it. I'm in the mood for love simply because you're near me. That reminds me, have you heard uh, the latest uh, thing about uh, the Indianapolis race? Did you hear about that? I'm in the mood for love. Campers and trailers will be barred from the infield of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the 500-mile race because, quote, they encourage vice. I'm in the mood for love. Would you please? Oh, the bear missed a train. Let's sing it out, gang. Let's sing it out. Bear missed the train, yeah. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Concept, of course, uh, the use of the camper, which uh, started out so clean-limbed, and uh, and uh, you you did hear about the guy in Europe who's who set up a whole. Uh, he's got a he's got a franchise deal. In fact, he set up a whole chain of moving campers. Do you hear about that guy? He's incorporated in everything, and he's got these very amiable young ladies who travel around from city to city. And he claims, of course. I believe he's Swiss or Dutch or something like that. When he was asked, he said, well, I am performing a public service. Now, of course, that's probably true. <laughs> it depends on how you view public service. But he uh, he's utilizing the camper to its full extent. Now, I think this is going to bring up the uh, problem of nomenclature. Uh, would you would you uh, have to call it a, uh, a, a camper of ill repute? <laughs> well, you, it's obviously in a house, you know. <laughs> you'd have to, you know, uh, uh, you'd have to. Uh, I can just see a, a guy being arrested for operating a disorderly camper. I mean, this will have to come about because you know legal minds are very specific about things like that. If he's accused of operating a disorderly house, his lawyer can get him off on that premise. 
because it would be very difficult to prove that a camper is a house, wouldn't it? It's uh, a Winnebago of evil. Uh, <laughs> not bad. But uh, these are, you know, the sin. The sin is a current a problem uh, everywhere you go. I, I, you just see it. It's popping up in the most unlikely areas now. I, I uh, for example, uh, did you hear about the lady whose plant was stolen in Houston? And she got this note says, "If you don't send ten bucks, your plant will never see the light of day again." And uh, <laughs> I mean, there it is. I don't make up the news. I only relate it to your friends. <laughs> Now that's a, I call that creative crime. I, I really do. I I think that that uh, that kind of crime is, uh, although it would be kind of be you know kind of be irritating if your fern plant was being held for ransom by a gang of uh, what would you call them? You couldn't call them kidnappers. I mean, kidnapper refers to children. You know the word kid, kidnapper. What would you call them? A fern napper? No, that's ridiculous. And yeah, a we no. Kind of silly, but uh, of course you know that's a, it, nomenclature plays an important role in people's lives. Uh, that, speaking of nomenclature, uh, you know that uh, a couple of days ago, it's just a coincidence how these things go in, uh, go in, uh, sort of in, uh, in sequence. Uh, you know, if it rains, it's going to do it. I mean, it's going to pour all over everybody. You remember a couple of days ago when we did the thing about the butan stamps? Were you working that show at all, or? Well, you know that that uh, you know Shepard's famous theory of uh, the reciprocal ponderosity of stamp theory, which basically says that the more ponderous and and uh, spectacular the stamps, the more tiny and insignificant and uh, nervous the country is that issues them. You know, have you ever done any stamp collecting? Well, have you ever seen Luxembourg stamps? Oh, they come with fringe on them. I mean, gold fringe, bas relief. <laughs> a gilt, gold, uh, gold gilt, uh, all of this, you know, to send a letter. Uh, and uh, this uh, this uh, was borne out uh, when we mentioned the butan stamps. Now, most people never heard of butan. I concede I never had much relationship with butan, which is a small place somewhere near Tibet. And uh, they issue these unbelievable stamps. They really are. They're beautiful. Did you see one, Jerry? Did you see those? They came in here. Some guy sent me a, a collection of them after I did it. They are spectacular. 3D stamps. I mean, really, made out of plastic. Heavy, thick plastic. You look at it, and, and it, they don't show you views of butane. They show you views of a 1903 uh, uh, Oldsmobile, for example, which I don't know what it has to do with butane, but it's a pretty stamp. <laughs> well, butane, you know, recently came out with a, a bunch of stamps that are talking stamps that have uh, grooves in them. They're little tiny LPs. You put them on your your record player, and you get a speech by the premier uh, telling you the beauties of butan. And if you buy the really expensive stamps, you know, like the uh, special delivery airmail stamp, which goes for 14 uh, bajusa sands, uh, strange money they have there, which consists of the bottom turnip seeds off a of plant and plant, uh, you get not only the premier giving a speech, you get the sound of the butanese uh, national choir singing Butanese folk songs, which would be kind of nice. Now, I, I, I pointed out at the time that this leads to a whole new idea in stamps. You know, you could, uh, you could have, uh, for example, Nixon can turn out his uh, uh, refutation of Watergate stamp. to be a collector's item. Where uh, all over the world, uh, he denies any connection with this. 
and uh, you know play it with the sound of the marine band in the background, maybe checkers barking off somewhere somewhere in the distance. It'd be kind of a touching stamp, and it would be a collector's item, really. Uh, years from now, uh, that would be a real piece of uh, of uh, history in the making. Well, the reason I'm bringing all this up, I'm not attempting to recap a previous bad show. What I am doing here, however, is pointing out that these things come in chains. You know, action always does. And uh, here, one of my spies has sent me a note. He sent me a clipping from a newspaper in Titusville, Florida. Now, that's a coincidence. You know they don't hear us down there in Titusville. They don't hear much at all in Titusville. What with the wind and everything down there and all them crickets. And uh, he, he sent me this clipping out of the Titusville paper. <laughs> And here's what it is. I'm going to read it to you. It is a letter to the editor. And it's written, of course, by a Titusville resident. So I'll have to assume my Titusville accent. He says, you know, some time ago, I received a piece of literature enclosed with my gas bill. And I'm quoting it here. It's stated that natural gas is odorless and treated with a chemical. After the addition... The odor of the gas makes the detection of leaks easy. They added something to the gas down there so you could smell it, you know, obviously, if it's leaking. He says, the gas company enclosed a card which had a printed area which evolved this pungent odor when scratched with the fingernail. Thus, children and others in a family could become familiar with this odor for reasons of safety. Now, the philatelic or the philatelic possibility of the process of including stamps smells in the production of stamps is tremendous many groups have been complaining that issues from certain countries already smell and well for example also the winner of the uh, stamp collectors monthly lens worst u.s issues annual poll could be tied in somehow did you know that there is a uh, an annual award by this uh, prestigious uh, philatelic or philatelic publication called Linz. Have you ever heard of Linz? L-I-N-N-S. Linz is like the, uh, you know, it's like the Academy Awards Selection Committee of Stamps. You know, they give all the news for stamp collectors. And every year they have an issue devoted to the worst stamps of the year. <laughs> it's voted by their members. <laughs> anyway, he says, the winner of Linz's worst U.S. issues annual poll could be tied in somehow. For example, by scratching the stamp with the fingernail, the printed-on odor would be released. Anyone in the world who's using one of them stamps. Recently, Butan issued a set of stamps to talk. Now, I haven't seen or heard these, but I did buy some of the earlier Butan issues, and I'm certainly glad that they can't talk. Anyway, Butan could follow up this talk set with, a, with an odoriferous set. Of course, pleasant odors could be used, perhaps... An appropriate commemorative these days would be an issue saluting the memory of roast beef. Now, we all remember roast beef with a great deal of nostalgia, and they could have a, a stamp saluting the memory of roast beef. Back in the days when you could buy it, he said, a full, you could just scratch it, and a full-color engraving of a cut of roast beef and the essence of a hot-standing rib roast would be very appealing, not only to stamp collectors, but actually to letter mailers all over the country. Signed, Jim Gould, stamp collector, Titusville, Florida. And then the editor's note, you know, these editors, are, he says, agreed, very appealing. How about a strip of ten each 
stamp depicting an individual serving, complete with odor. On the reverse, we could have the trimmings, gravy, choice of dressings, etc. Of course, like most editors, he completely misses the point. Potatoes are not in short supply. Meat is. God, what about editors? This is W.O.R. New York. <laughs> I'm missing the point. That reminds me, this is W.O.R. New York in the, let's face it, the point of our world is filthy lucre. Uh, hit the filthy lurker button, the one that's marked uh, hey, FL. Guess who was in here yesterday? Doc Oglethorpe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, and when I go to take his order, he says, Connor, I think I'm going nuts. Four nights now I've been having the same dream, and I can't figure out what it means. Well, now I can see this is serious. So I say, Do you want to tell me about it? And he says, Well, it's a weird dream, Connor. All very strange. I have the feeling I'm made out of glass, I'm very cold, and I seem to have three rings tattooed on my stomach. And I say, Doc, I may be all wet, but it sounds to me like you dreamt you were a bottle of Valentine beer. And those three rings were for purity, body, and flavor. What he says, a bottle of Valentine beer, and that's stupid, that's dumb. But wait a minute. That would explain how come in the dream I had to unscrew my hat. So just like that, Doc's all cheerful again. And he orders around a valentine for everybody in the place. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another valentine. On the house. Yeah, valentine, Bach being now available. Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Missouri, and other cities. Yeah. I mean, the Bartenders Association ought to sue him for that one. You know, uh... Have you noticed that bartenders on, on TV are always shown as fat guys, usually bald? That's a bartender cliche. Yeah, also in old Western movies, and yet almost every bartender I know is wiry, harassed-looking, thin, and rarely says anything. He runs around with a rag in his hand, looking harassed. Or you would know about bartenders, would you? No, I don't think so. Hey, it's a celebration week every day this week at Huffman Coors, 12 showcase stores, excuse me, in New Jersey and Nanuet, New York. Why are they having a celebration? Well, because this week Huffman Coos is presenting the new look Hackensack store to homemakers. Months of planning and renovating have made that store the most unique, and uh, that's what the copy says here, the most dazzling furniture show place in the whole metropolitan area. Now they're going to have celebrities on hand. All week. Uh, let's see who are some of them. Uh, one of them is a newscaster you may have heard about. The name is Peter Roberts. And if you poke him in the belly button, he'll go, ha, 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 ha. So uh, you'll enjoy that. It's very much fun. Uh, you can also win. <laughs> Don't look at me. Have you ever heard him? Uh, yeah. uh, you can also win a free trip for two to fabulous Acapulco. Nothing to buy. You can split, leave the country. Open from 9.30 to 9.30, Saturday till 6. Uh, that's... Uh, Big thing. That, oh, by the way, these uh, celeb types are going to be in Hackensack store. Uh, if you'd like to find out the location of your nearest Huffman Coos, you can call them at area 201-343-4300. Let's see. Uh, when will he be there? It doesn't say. Oh, this afternoon or two, it says. I guess they mean tomorrow afternoon, right? I'm just reading the copy. You know, he probably was here today, you know, the way our copy department works. So, uh... <laughs> oh, heaven help us. Each and every one, God bless us. And his poor tiny Tim. Uh, you have probably enjoyed French wine at a fancy restaurant, right? But you are afraid that serving French wine at home might be too expensive for you? Is this what you've been worried about? 
In addition to everything else, what with Watergate, you're worrying about that? Not at all. All you have to know about French wine is the name. Alexis Lachine. The Alexis Lachine Company selects the finest wines in France and brings them to you in gracious, curvaceous, sexy, distinctive bottles at a price you can afford. You do not have to be a wine expert to serve fine French wines. You just walk in and say, Alexis Lachine. For example, they have a lovely Pinot Chardonnay, which is the classic white wine of France. Its taste is crisp, dry, and incredibly flavorful, with poultry, fish, or veal, if you can afford any of those things. Well, if you can't, you can afford the wine, which will make you forget all about the poultry, fish, or veal, if you do it the right way. The only thing you really have to know about French wines is, we quote, Alexis Lachine, imported by Bass Sherrington Vintners of New York. Sing it, girl. Alexis Lachine. like that commercial? You kind of like the way I do them, don't you? Indeed. I tell you, we're running the gamut tonight. We're stuffing you people. We're going to take care of your kidneys one way or the other. We sold you beer. We're selling you wine. How about laying a little water on you? That's if it's twist. Can't you see W.C. feel saying water? Uh, water from a mountain of still water. Yes, where is my water commercial? Is that, uh, is it live? Here's Huffman Coos, Valentine, wine. Oh, yes, here it is. Indeed. It says, uh, let's face it, you need something good, awfully good, to keep a motor running all the time, a motor that never turns off, that runs 24 hours a day. And that motor is you, running 24 hours a day. It's fuel that better be good, or you suffer the consequences. So regard your food with care, your liquid intake with the greatest of care. Mountain Valley Water, one of the greatest waters in the world. Look at the record. The only water popular across the nation. I've been in places where the water was very unpopular. I mean, uh, in fact, I was in a place the other night where they haven't drunk water for over five years, and it was great tasting water. It just wasn't popular. But that's <laughs> all manner of local attitudes. <laughs> uh, Mountain Valley Water could be exactly right for you if you're looking for a popular water. It comes from uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yes, indeed. For a free folder and price list, or to have Mountain Valley Water de- delivered right to you, you mail a card to me, that's spelled M-E-E, me, in care of W-O-R, New York, 10018. Just send it to M-E-E, in care of W-O-R, New York, 18, and they'll send you your price list, and you simply write water, W-A-T-T-E-R on it, with an exclamation point. Or you can telephone... Bryant 95252. That's the water headquarters of New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I read that right? Is that Dubonnet? For heaven's sakes. I mean, what is happening? No, no, no. I prefer to do Dubonnet. <laughs> well, all right. Will you hold them, uh, hold them in abeyance there uh, for the crowd? You know, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of water, I one time saw a fantastic feat performed by, by again, this is a... You know, uh, when, you're, when you're in college, uh, I, I, I presume a few of you went to college. Did you hear of it all? You, went to, you know, that you, I know you did, Jerry, yes. Well, when you're in school, college, this is a very uh, curious time in your life. You're in school, you're in college. Now, that's different from being in high school. Uh, you're in college, you're, you're a grown-up person, right? Uh, you'll be as... as uh, 
pubescent as you'll ever will be at that point. Uh, there are many things going on in your head, and here you are, you know, you're in school. So naturally, and I'm not speaking for the feminine types, I'm talking about the male types. Now, I don't know about the girls. Do, do girls have contests in their dormitory, various feats of strength and so on? Do they? No. You, well, there are always uh, these informal contests break out in dormitories among males. I speak only because I never did live in a girl's dorm. I lived in, in largely male dormitories, although, but that's another story. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, and, and these informal feats of endurance and strength would break out. Yes. Uh, for example, yeah, they would suddenly break out just without any pre preliminary, like uh, like the time... I told you about the time the guy came into the room. There were a bunch of us sitting around, and, and you know, it was one of those nights, and uh, and uh, depression had settled heavily over over the uh, the old uh, dorm. And uh, the dorm, by the way, that I at that time was going to was was living in was was quite fragrant. Uh, there was, was a great uh, fragrance of all kinds of uh, aromatic things, like uh, old pipe smoke, uh, fermenting dried out beer cans. Um, just general anger. You know, anger has a certain smell of itself. You know, when you get mad, how you, you, you exude this animal odor. That was very much in that room, and it was all part and parcel. That see, so we're sitting in there one day, and this guy walks in. And he sits down, and uh, and uh, he has in his hand a box of X-lax, and he challenged everyone there to a contest: who could eat the most X-lax before before lightning struck. And uh, it was a fantastic, it just out of the blue. Well, of course, immediately the roses came to everybody's cheeks because now we had a goal and uh, a contest broke out. And these guys sat there and ate X-Lax. Now, uh, due to the fact that I had an early morning class, I restrained myself from joining into this particular athletic contest because I realized there could be repercussions the next morning, which uh, I was not prepared to accept, nor did I think my organic chemistry professor was prepared to accept. Chemistry or not, you know, there's some wild things happen in a chemistry class. However, uh, you, I told you the story of this, this tremendous feat which I saw performed by one of my fellow residents of the dormitory that I was festering in at the time. He not only ate an entire box of X-Lax, but he was able to hold up for seven hours by the clock and 15 minutes uh, almost seven hours and 16 minutes. He just lacked a shade under 16 minutes before lightning struck, which incidentally was two and a quarter hours over anybody else was able to hold it. It's a fantastic, tremendous achievement. Now, that, that uh, giving you a little preliminary to the kind of thing I'm talking about, the impromptu feat of, uh, of endurance. Now, I, I, uh, I saw this feat one time performed. A guy was sitting around, and uh, somebody said, uh, you know how to talk just gets desultory, uh, just uh, just general silliness sometimes will break out in the dormitory. And, of course, I think it has to do with the fact that at the age of 19 through about 21 or 22, the human male is actually a walking around uh, human, uh, I suppose you can call it that, cake of yeast. He is filled with many cross currents of all kinds. His glands are operating at full blast. And uh, he is being chock-a-block. His head is being filled with ideas which mean very little to him. 
and he rejects on total, but he's got to do it because he wants to get the credit. He has to get out. His old man is biting his back if he doesn't get better grades. This year. You know, all kinds of stuff are going on. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, so it's, it's a time of great stress. It is not a time uh, particularly of uh, happy songs being sung under the dormitory windows. And uh, Do you know that in many parts of the country, are you aware that... that 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 uh, that there's a great new outbreak of panty raids. Have you heard about this? Well, I was there when one broke out. I was at the University of North Dakota, North Dakota State, last week when a panty raid broke out. And boy, has have things changed. These guys charged the dormitory. I was right there when when the panty raid broke out, and one chick grabbed the hold of a guy. Our girls have changed. One chick grabbed the hole of a guy when they charged into the girls' dormitory and literally grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and the seat of the pants and threw him through a plate glass window right out of the first-story window, and he landed in the head screaming and hollering. And not only did he not get any panties, he got a hell of a bump on his head, and half his ear was almost severed. So things... <laughs> Incidentally, I also talked to a girl later after the panty raid, and she was very disappointed that not only was her dormitory all excited about the prospect of a panty raid, she was all ready to welcome the panty raid. She has, a, you know, special panties that she had selected for the raid and everything else, and they didn't show. And she was really bugged. She says, you know, what is this uh, uh, disappointment? And uh, I, I, uh, I just thought I'd report this to you, that this is beginning to happen all over the country. If you think this is not, uh, you're just out of touch. It is not happening at CCNY. And if you've seen many of the CCNY girls, you'd know why panty raids are not occurring. However, uh, the things are different in other parts of the country. <laughs> so I'm making no value judgment. I'm just uh, relaying again a student's assessment of the situation from CCNY. When I ask him about how come CCNY is not used to he says, hey, oh boy. He says, are you kidding? So uh, I can only take it as a one way. But anyway, I, getting back to the story, I, uh, I'm sitting in the dorm this day and there's about six or seven of us in the room there, and uh, we were in this guy's room. It was not my room that this occurred. And uh, somebody walked in and said, Oh, boy, my tongue is just hanging out. Man, I wish I could get a beer. Well, there was a rule in our dormitory that no beers could be brought into the dormitory. Of course, as I meant to add, that this rule was occasionally uh, broken, uh, in fact, one guy, I'll tell you how, how well it was broken, one guy, <laughs> one guy, one guy brought, brought, uh, brought a, a, what looked like about 17 gallons of, 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 uh, beer that he had put into a beach ball, which he filled up with beer. He brought a beach ball in. Now, there was no rule that you couldn't have a beach ball in your room, and he had a beach ball. And he brought this in, of course, everybody was cheering in there. The beer was a little flat, and it tasted like rubber. But it was a hell of a lot better than the beer which we'd been having in the dormitory, which was absolutely none. So uh, we were able to pull that one off. However, uh, on this night, he says, gee whiz, wow, uh, am, I, am I ever thirsty? Well, I sure could have a beer. It was hot in the dormitory. And so some guy said, uh, you know, this, this is a primitive kind of humor you hear in college. He said, uh, well, he said, uh, water faucets are still running, Aki. And we, you know, that was supposed to be funny. At which point, Ox says, oh, come on, will you, you know, will you, you know, why do you always try to be funny, Stan? Why? You know, you're not a funny guy, which is absolutely true. Some of the most unfunny guys I've known 
due to the fact that they are basically unfunny, have gone into the professional funny man business. I don't know what it is. Uh, this is a, this is a thing that you note that, that here at the station, for example, we're continually being harassed by people who want to have auditions who have very strong and bad, unfortunate speech defects. They're drawn to this thing. <laughs> uh, uh, girls who are wallflowers, who are basically introverts, always want to be actresses and remove their clothes on the stage. Uh, yes, this is a curious thing. One is drawn by the opposites. Have you noticed that, Herb? Continually. And so, so it is this way in life. So the guys who are totally unfunny are guys who are constantly trying to tell you a joke. They're personally not very funny guys. But uh, they, they want to uh, compensate for this by telling you, quote, a joke. So Stan was about as funny as a rubber crutch being operated by an elderly lady trying to get out of the way of a streetcar. That was Stan. So... And he was, everybody was bugged at Stan, because Stan was always making the smart remark. He thought he was funny. We have a couple of guys in the engineering staff like that. You know this, Herb. So he says, um, I mean, no names are necessary here. They, they, it's not necessary. We all know. So uh, he, his, his usual comment, uh, funniness, Stan's type, was, uh, well, the water faucets are running. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the crowd sat there for a couple of minutes. And we were momentarily diverted from the thought of a beer by Stan's totally unfunny remark, which he was laughing like hell at, and he thought that was very funny. The water faucets are running funny. So uh, uh, the guy says, yes, they are running, aren't they? Howard said, they are running, aren't they? And if all contests come out of a basic animosity, do you agree with that? Else, why would there be a contest? When you want to best somebody in something, doesn't this show some kind of animosity? Doesn't it? I mean, I'm using a very uh, a rough word, a spirit of competition, you can call it, but uh, let's face it, uh, when one guy gets into the ring and he's going to fight with another guy, you can call it the spirit of competition and all the Queensbury rules, but he wants to knock that other guy's teeth right through the back of his head. Do you agree with that? All right. Uh, there's a lot of things we just don't bring out to the public. Uh, when, when two football teams are facing each other, they may also, this is also often misunderstood by guys like Kurt Gotti, who keep talking about $15,000 is on the line. They always talk about money, you know. Well, uh, it is on the line, but only as a side bet. <laughs> the real thing that says, we can knock the hell out of you, and we are going to show you this afternoon. That's where the action lies. Now, any team that doesn't feel that is going to get the hell knocked out of it. I can just assure you of this. You agree with that, Jerry? Okay. The basic sense of competition and animosity. So, this thing began to escalate, and I was a witness to it. So, Howard looks at, at Stan and said, uh, You're real funny. You're real funny. That was real funny. Real funny, Stan. The water faucets are running. Real funny. That's not going to do nothing to help my insensate thirst for a glass of beer. Well, the truly and funny guy does not ever recognize irony. He never recognizes it. He only repeats his uh, vapid remark. Ha, 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 well, uh, water faucets are running. Ha, 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 hey, 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 uh, Clarence, hi, you hear that? Water faucets are running. Well, Howie then said, all right, I'll bet I can drink more water than you can. 
You got water on the head. I'll, I'll show you who's got water on the brain. I can drink more water than you can. Instantly, the lines were drawn. The whistles were blown. And somebody said, go ahead, take them on. Go on. Take them on, Stan. Well, within five minutes, these two guys are drinking water. Have you ever seen a water drinking contest? It's a very interesting thing to see. They are drinking water, and, and, and we had a regular fireman's brigade running in and out of the john with glasses of water. These guys are drinking water. Well, at first, they started out very fast. Yeah, go, 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 go. Regular water glasses. Well, I want to tell you, I have never seen anything like it, because one thing you've got to say about guys who have no sense of humor, they are often dogged. Well, take Matt as an example. They are often dogged. And once they have been challenged, they are like, you know, it's like challenging a barnacle. You get hardly any emotion from them, but a dogged desire to best you. Well, this guy is drinking water. Stan is drinking water. And so is Howard. Well, Howard, being the challenger, felt that, uh, of course, he felt that he had to, to, to do it too now. And, and at one point, you could see he was wavering. But Stan did not waver. And the two of them must have drunk in, I'd say, 15 minutes, probably between the two of them, 17 gallons of water. It was unbelievable. I did not know the human body could, could absorb or at least hold that much water. Have you ever seen one of these things? It's fantastic. Well, I'm going to... That reminds me of something. Did you ever see a movie? And don't call up and say uh, that Paul Newman picture. This was much funnier than the Paul Newman picture. Did you ever see a movie where a bunch of kids in a school... And it was a beautifully done movie, by the way. A bunch of kids in a school had a hard-boiled egg eating contest where this... This kid comes in, and he was like a, a new guy in school, and the next thing you know, he is being challenged to eating the, the hard-boiled eggs, and the two guys are sitting in this this uh, restaurant, and they're downing hard-boiled eggs. It was a hard-boiled egg-eating contest. Have you ever seen that picture? Did you ever see that, Jerry? Well, it was a famous... Uh, it, was the, it was the movie version of a famous uh, boy's classic, and that's the, one of the very few times I've ever seen... The, the whole concept of juvenile contests put into a, into a, a book is really authentic. Well, these two guys in my dormitory room had a water-drinking contest that is epic. And they began to get mad at each other. After the first couple of minutes, you know, drinking the water to see who could drink water the, the fastest and the most, slowly anger began to develop which is almost always the result of, of uh, this type of contest. I've never seen it otherwise. Well, Howard was a little embarrassed. I could see that because he had challenged Stan to who could drink the most water. And immediately the crowd starts to take sides. Some guys say, come on, Stan! Come on, one more! Let's go, Stan! And, of course, other guys are hollering, come on, Howie, come on! Don't let that clod beat you! You know, it's drink this water, drink this water. Well... I never realized what water does to you when you drink too much of it. Apparently, it goes down in your bladder or something and pushes up on your lungs because these two guys started to get woozy, literally woozy. And you could see him. He's sort of staggering around. And, and Howard says, bring me another one. Bring me another one. I'll drink another one. I'll drink another one. And then and up, every once in a while, he goes, like that. I'll bring me another one. And it started to come up. He had a fantastic case of hiccups. He would go, bring me another one. Oop, oop, bring me another one. Oop, oop. 
and Stan's got him on the ropes. We can see that. He's on the damn ropes. Well, the last glass of water, they brought the glass in to, to Howard. Howard was on the ropes. Stan was still drinking him down. I have formed Shepard's theory of, again, reciprocal lack of humor relationships. That the least that the, that the more you have a sense of humor, the less able you are to compete physically with other guys in the totally silly competitions that are taken serious by guys. Do you agree with this? That Stan, who had no sense of humor whatsoever, that guy, I know, would still be drinking water this minute if he thought he was going to lose. No sense of humor at all. So Howard is, is getting kind of groggy. Fantastic scene. He lays back on his bunk. And at that point, it was amazing to see what had happened to him. Howard was a normal-shaped guy. He was, you know, ordinary-shaped guy. He lays on his bunk, and it was for the first time, because he'd been sitting forward drinking the water, that I saw what water would do to a guy. His, his stomach, down at the bottom part of the stomach, was round like a watermelon. It was sticking up, round, like a watermelon. He was filled with water. And, 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 and somebody says, look at Howard's stomach. Look at his gut. And all the while, Stan is still drinking the glasses. Like, you know, they're counting them off as he drinks. 17, 18, he's drinking water. Well, it was obvious that, that Stan had won the contest. And he just, you know, the show off, drank off a couple of more glasses of water, polished off a quart of orange juice that somebody brought in. Somebody, But then, of course, it got silly. Somebody brought in a milkshake from down the street. He drank that. Somebody said, well, how about some ink? He drank four or five bottles of Parker's Quink. Uh, you know, he's just drinking everything he could drink. He's just showing you he was the most magnificent the water drinker and drinker of all types. Freelance, freestyle drinker. Uh, and poor Howard is laying on the on the bed, and he's saying nothing. All of a sudden, he got up, and his, his gut was fantastic. He's hanging over his belt, hanging down like he's pregnant, and he's about to give birth to about four or five cantaloupes. It's hanging down there. So somebody says, what's the matter with Howard? <laughs> I will, for the purposes of good taste, draw a curtain over what ensued at that moment. And uh, I can only say to you that if you want some excitement in your dormitory, challenge somebody to a water drinking contest, but you better, you better be in shape to do it because the scene that ensued was one of the most spectacular physical scenes I have ever been witness to. And uh, I don't know whether Howard ever drank water or not after that episode. You know, they often say that if you, drink, if you, do, if you overindulge in something too much, that you get so that you can't stand the sight of it, you know? Have you heard this? No, this is not necessarily true. I know. This is not necessarily true in certain things. In fact, certain things, the more you indulge in them, the more your taste is whetted for more. So ultimately, of course, all your overload relays blow out and there's not much left to go on. Yes, man is a mysterious creature. Tonight, instead of the usual before dinner, how about a Dubonnet before dinner? Before that's the time to think about some new to drink. Before's the proper time of day to have your dance for doing a good boy, yeah, before. It's the time before for do for Tonight, before you fix the usual, 
Before you settle down with the same old thing, have a Dubonnet instead. Dubonnet's the wine that's made to go before lunch, before dinner. Just pour it over the rocks. Add a twist. Soda, if you like. That's Dubonnet before. Made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, Breslin on Breslin, the one-time politician, part-time writer, and full-time Irishman, Jimmy Breslin has turned his gift of gab into a paying proposition, first in newspapers, then in television. The transition wasn't easy, but it does make amusing reading in TV Guide. In the same issue, two-time world driving champion Jackie Stewart explains why he's doing the TV color commentary for the Indy 500 rather than driving in it. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Carl Malden. With over 40 films and 23 Broadway plays behind him, the top cop on the streets of San Francisco talks about the rigors of a weekly TV series. Interesting reading this week in TV Guide. America's biggest-selling weekly magazine. TV Guide. On sale everywhere. Some night after class, we'll have to, uh, off the record, discuss some other fantastic uh, contest that I have been witness to. As long as the uh, women and children are out of the room, we can uh, really talk about some of these uh, incredible feats of uh, athletic uh, talent and uh, determination. It's, uh, it's all part of these. Uh... You know, I'm, I'm always uh, impressed by people who have lived a sheltered life. I mean, not, not, not really impressed. I feel... Uh, uh, in a sense, uh, vaguely envious of them, but on the other hand, vaguely sorry for them. You know, the people who don't know what man is truly capable of. <laughs> and they keep being surprised by what they see around them. Why? I can't believe they would do that. Oh, come on. Just look inside yourself, friend, and you know damn well you're capable of almost anything that the law allows, and a hell of a lot more. If pressed right to the wall. <laughs> Do you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where Howie is tonight. He probably ain't drinking water. I don't know where Stan is tonight. He's probably writing comedy material for Johnny Carson, as is the case of most truly unhumorous people. So, uh, just grab a hold of the oar, friend, and uh, put your back into it. Got to keep this rowboat moving, in spite of the fact that it's a rowboat made entirely out of what appears to be balsa wood, and it's also melting badly around the bow. So just throw your back into it, friend, and uh, get some gut into it. Let's keep this boat moving. Come on, let's go. Up, two, up, 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 up. Oh. 